I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Please don't answer out loud, but just answer quietly. A perfect moral life. To live a perfect moral life. Now, I understand that phrase in itself, perfect moral life, is pretty unattainable because we were born with a sin nature and our natural tendencies are still to crave and desire sin. I get it. So I know when we talk about a perfect moral life, we have to factor in that's kind of a heavy influencer in that. Let me ask you this. Talking about a perfect moral life, which is what we are striving to when we pursue Jesus, who is perfect, um, then we are pursuing perfection. A lot of people uh, might say, well, that's, that's just unattainable, so why should we pursue perfection? Because we pursue Jesus, and Jesus is perfect. Uh, therefore, we're not pursuing perfection, we're pursuing Jesus, and in doing so, we are pursuing a perfect moral life. There are days where we're pretty good at it, and there are probably days where we're not so hot at it, but it's still a pursuit of as we pursue Jesus. It's called a perfect moral life. So with that said, let me ask you this question. In addition to God's commands in Scripture, what must I do to be morally perfect? Don't answer out loud. Just think about it. I'm talking about a perfect moral life. Think about it in your context, not me. Think about it in your context. In addition to God's commands in Scripture, what must you do to be morally perfect? I'm going to read a few quotes with you, see if you've ever heard of these or if you might have quoted them yourself. God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that? What about, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. Quoted, Quoted that before, huh? Uh, we shall overcome, this too shall pass. I was like, on my way home when I was in high school and taking my report cards with me. <laughs> what about love the sinner and hate the sin? I've quoted that before, right? Or heard it quoted? To thine own self be true. For all our King James counterparts in the room. How about money is the root of all evil? Y'all heard that one before? Yeah? Or the, the eye, the eye is the window to the soul. If anybody ever starts a conversation with you using that phrase, walk away, all right? You don't know if they're going to start with the eye is the window to the soul. You don't know what about to happen, so just, just move on. Have you, ever, have you ever heard any of these things? Have more or less, maybe, don't answer this out loud, have you ever quoted these things before? Because I'm going to tell you this now, if you've ever quoted any of those sayings, these sayings are the most misquoted sayings because people think often when they quote one of those things that they're quoting scripture. They're not. I, I, I did, Terrence, I went to the Google and I typed in the most commonly misquoted biblical sayings and these were the most commonly misquoted biblical sayings that are not from the Bible. Now I'll be honest with you, there are several of them whose origins are found in Scripture, that start in Scripture, but these are not biblical sayings. But yet, these are common sayings that people attribute to Scripture. This morning, we are wrapping up our study on God's Word. Uh, We have been walking through six weeks of studying God's Word, and I want to make sure you know this, because somebody asked me this this week. 
When we talk about God's word, church, I'm not saying that we are to worship God's word. We don't. We worship God. God and God alone is who we worship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We do not, we're not worshipers of God's word. But God's word reveals to us how to worship God. We hold God's word in high regard because it is from God. So somebody said, does that mean we worship scripture? No, we don't worship scripture. We use scripture to worship God. So we are continuing this study. We're wrapping it up today on God's word. We've talked about what is God's word. We've talked about the authority of God's word. We've talked about the inerrancy of God's word. We've talked about the clarity of God's word. We talked about last week the necessity of God's word. And today we're going to wrap it up by talking about the sufficiency of God's word. The sufficiency of God's word. You might hear that and think, well, what do you mean by the sufficiency of God's word? And why do we need to spend a whole time together studying it? Well, here's what I mean. The sufficiency of God's word means that the Bible, the scriptures, God's word gives us everything we need to know in order to enter into a relationship with God through salvation, in order for us to trust him, and in order for us to obey him. Remember last week we talked about the necessity of God's word. Uh, We talked about God's will. Uh, To know God's will uh, means is for us to know, trust, and obey God. Uh, So in order for these things to happen, God's word is sufficient enough for us to know, trust, and obey God. Why do we need to discuss the sufficiency of Scripture? Well, if those quotes that I just mentioned to you a few minutes ago or anything that you've ever thought might be Scripture or confused with Scripture, there's evidence in itself that we need to talk about the sufficiency of Scripture. But in order for us to really understand why we're studying the sufficiency of Scripture, we need to just look at the world we live in. We live in a world that wants more than it needs. I don't know if you're aware of that. But we do. The world we live in wants a whole lot more than it needs. And unfortunately, because this is kind of the culture, this is kind of particularly our American culture, it bleeds over, it permeates into our spiritual walk, our spiritual journey with Christ. That a lot of times when it comes to our relationship with God, we want more than we need. I know I'm probably the only one ever guilty of that, right? You a liar. (laughs) Sitting here with your beard telling me I'm right. It bleeds over, it affects us this way. And naturally, as a whole, in general, we as humans kind of lean towards the things that are easier for us. We naturally lean towards things that that don't cost us as much. It's not as hard for us to do. You want evidence? Go to Walmart. I think Walmart is like the most penultimate sermon illustrations ever can be found at Walmart. For the record, I'll probably reference that quite a few times in the next few years. Go to Walmart. At Walmart, you got a couple of options. You can go to the doors that open for you, or you can go to the doors that you open yourself. Which ones do you think people are going to most? Y'all debating it, kind of thinking about it? Man, I want to go to the double electric doors. I saw a dude the other day acting like he had Star Wars force powers, waved his hands, the doors opened, and he was like, that's right, Jedi. You know, it's like, what's wrong with you, man? People go to that. We naturally gravitate towards what's easier 
for us. And because of who we are, because of the world, because of technology, because of where we are, we are a microwavable Twitter-verse speaking group of people. That's kind of how we can kind of sum up ourselves. We're microwavable Twitter speakers. And what I mean by that is we want instant gratification. Our culture is based on what we want, when we want it, get it now. And when I talk about the whole Twitter idea is that we want to give and we want as little information as possible to get us what we need. Hey, I'm going to ask you how to do this. I just need the A, B, and C to it. I don't need the whole story. Just give me what I want to hear, give me what I need, and then shut up and leave me alone. Y'all know what I mean? That's kind of the culture that we're in. Well, when you combine all of these ideas that the world wants more than it needs, that we lean towards what's easy and we want everything instantly and we want it in as little as possible, when you combine that with our recognizing our need for God's word, you see how we're kind of smearing out the sufficiency of God's word. Because we want God's word to say what we want it to say when we needed to say it. And then once we get what we, what pacifies us, because we're self-gratifying, we don't need the rest of it. We don't want to hear about the rest of it. Which is why we get phrases that might have their origins in scripture, but they're extremely misquoted. It's why we get things where we're turning to Facebook to get our little quotes and inspirations and daily thoughts. Tyler Stevenson, are you here? Tyler, is today your birthday? Tyler, happy birthday. Let me tell you, you know how I know today's your birthday? This morning I went on Facebook. You know what Facebook told me to do today, Tyler? Said, wish Tyler, today is Tyler's birthday. Send him good thoughts. Shh, he can't hear my thoughts. Did you get that? I sang that just for you. (laughs) We are looking for all types of things to make us feel good. We're looking for all types of things to justify us. We're looking for all types of things to say what we want them to hear. Read God's word. There's a whole lot talking about looking where a time will come where people don't want the truth. They just want what their ears love to hear. We're in that age. So when we get to the place where we talk about where we are as a culture, it is a danger to our spiritual growth and development in recognizing God's eternal word. It challenges our ability to recognize that God's word is all sufficient when we're looking at all these other things and places to give us what we want to hear. So that's why we're having to unpack. That's why we need to go into this idea that God's word is sufficient. A minute ago, I asked you the question, That in addition to God's commands in Scripture, what must I do to be morally perfect? Do you know the answer? The answer is nothing. There is nothing in addition to God's Word that we need to be more like Christ. There is nothing in addition to God's Word that's going to get us further down the road in our journey with Jesus. Nothing, church. Outside of God's Word, we don't need anything else to contribute to our growth in our relationship with God. Because God's word is all sufficient. In it, he has given us everything we need to know him, to trust him, and to obey him. 
And in his word, recognizing what his word is and understanding his character and getting to know God through his word, the Holy Spirit translates us for us so we can go and go and live it out and know what he wants us to know and know what he wants us to do. So in order for us to really press into why God's word is pointing us to the fact that it is all sufficient, I'm going to invite you to look into 2 Timothy chapter 3. As we've been walking through this study of God's word, we've referenced 2 Timothy chapter 3 multiple times. And today, as we've kind of put a bow on this thing, we're just going to land there and spend some time in this passage alone today. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me give you a little bit of a background to this, to this scripture. 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul wrote before he was killed, before he was executed. And he wrote it to Timothy. Timothy was kind of his sidekick. Timothy was the guy that he had been mentoring, the guy he'd been discipling, the guy he had been training up to come behind him to continue the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had kind of trained, he brought him along, he met with him, he started a church, they they did a lot of things together. And this is Paul's final letter, and Paul himself knew that his time was drawing to a close. He knew there wasn't much time left. So as he's writing this letter, the second Timothy uh, to Timothy, Uh, When we get to chapter 3, we're starting to see some real personal things that Paul starts talking to Timothy and kind of equipping him for. So let's look at this passage of Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Paul says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want us to just kind of look at this text and kind of unpack it a little bit and see what Paul was telling Timothy, and in turn, see what Paul is encouraging us to do. The first thing we see in this passage is that Paul, right there in verse 14, the first verb we see is the word continue. In the Greek text that Paul is using, it's this word continue is the same word that can be used for abide or remain. Paul is pushing Timothy to cling to God's word. Like I said, Paul knows he's not going to be around very much longer. And he knows that he's been this mentor. He's been this guy that's been pouring into Timothy. He's been investing in Timothy. And he knows, man, what's going to happen when I'm out of the picture and there's nobody there to pour into Timothy? What's going to happen to Timothy? So what he says to him is, Timothy, do this. Continue in God's word. Abide in God's word. Remain in God's word. What he's basically saying indirectly is say, don't, don't look to me anymore to get what you need to continue down this journey in your relationship with God the Father through Jesus. And as you continue to preach the gospel, don't look to me, look to God's word in this. He's pointing him to something that is eternal. He's pointing him to something that's going to last far beyond him. He's encouraging him to get out of his shadow and to embrace God's word, to study God's word, to grow in God's word. Church, if we are going to be the Westmead Baptist Church that God planted here 51 years ago, we have got to continue, abide, remain in God's word together. 
We have to stand solely on God's Word. Now, we like to uh, have confidence in the fact that we've been members of Westmead for X amount of time, or we did this 10 years ago, or we used... These are great things that we can look back to and say, see God's faithfulness? But as a church, if we're going to reach the potential that God has for us in being right here on the southwest corner of Decatur, Alabama, then we have got to continue in God's word. Now, let me hit the pause button for just a minute because I've already lost some of you. And this is why. You can't continue in anything you haven't started. You cannot continue a race if you never laced up the shoes and got to the starting line. You cannot continue to be healthy if you don't at first get out of bed and start taking care of yourself. You can't continue in anything you've never started. So for the fact that Paul told Timothy, continue, it's insinuating that, Timothy, you are a student of God's word. Continue in that, remain in that, abide in that. Church, if we're going to continue in God's word, guess what that means? We got to start being in God's word. And what I mean by that isn't, so you better be at church every Sunday. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is that for those of us in this room that profess Jesus as Lord, it's time for us to recognize the value of God's word and start pressing into it. I read something the other day that really challenged me. I guess it was written to pastors, I don't know. But it said, in your church... If you took away the screens, if you took away the microphones, if you took away the choir, if you took away the comfortable seats, if you took away the air conditioning, if you took away the lights, if you took away everything in this room but just a shell of a place and all you had was God's word, would your your people still gather? Would we? Would we still gather here if all we had was a copy of God's word sitting up here and somebody to come read it? Would that be enough for us to gather here? It should because it is the sufficiency of God's word. This is all we need. Now, the beauty of God's word that spills over into our lives is that we have incredible, talented people that give of their time and energy to lead us musically. And for us to have the ability to have guys like Wesley who could come and give their talent so that we can join with them and profess and and exalt the name of God in song and that we can pray together. But church, if we ever come to a place where this is not the centerpiece of what we're studying when we're here, let's just go home. Because there's nothing else here that we need together if we're not centered on this but in order for us to grow in this we as an individual body of believers need to start immersing ourselves in God's word if this is all we need then we need to get started so that we may continue in God's word. Second thing, if we continue to look at this in verse 14, continue, yes, but continue in what? He says, continue in what you have learned. What has Timothy learned? What has Timothy learned? If he's going to continue in what he learned, what has Timothy learned? Well, if you read a little bit further down, you see that Timothy has learned of the gospel. If you think about the fact that Timothy has been with Paul, he has heard the gospel 
preached multiple times. He's probably well-versed in the ability to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ, who, the Jesus, who Jesus was as the person, who Jesus was as the Messiah, who Jesus was in terms of his life on earth and his death and his resurrection. The fact that he was God's son, the fact that he was the propitiation for our sins, the fact that Jesus Christ was exactly who he says he was. Timothy knew about Jesus. Timothy knew about the gospel. What else did Timothy know? He probably knew a lot about the Old Testament. Who do you think taught him that? Hey, somebody's still at church. Yes, Paul probably taught him that. You think he learned it from anybody else? Anybody want to go back to chapter 1? His mom, his mama, and his grandmama, yeah. Oh, you know, Lois and Eunice. You know, Lois, Eunice. You go back to chapter 1, verse 5. Look at what it says here. I'll read it for you. You don't have to flip a page. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. The faith of your mother and your grandmother has been poured and invested into you as well. He's talking about continuing, yes, but continuing what you have learned. You have to continue learning God's word. This is why, church, this is why I will forever tell you that if you can only, if you only have one hour of a Sunday, get here at 9.15 and connect with one of these Sunday school classes and spend time studying God's word with an intimate group of believers. That is rich. That is community. That is unbelievable. The, the opportunity, the privilege you have to unpack God's word together in your Sunday school classes. This is the privilege of being at things like small groups. These are the things that when we gather, we gather and we do one thing. We study God's word. Our life classes that meet on Wednesday nights, where revolve around God's word. Continue learning. You know what? What's the best way we learn? Best way we learn is when somebody who knows a little bit more than us teaches us, right? That's kind of helpful for the record. When you want to learn a new skill, if you want to learn more information, you're going to go to somebody who knows more than you, somebody who can do more than you, somebody who has done it longer than you, and let them teach you, let them show you. Like Timothy, who went and found Paul, and Paul sought him out so he could pour into him and invest into him. But you know, the first step of that process, Timothy had to show up. Timothy didn't just be like, yeah, I'm with Paul. I'm growing a lot from him. I'm learning from him. Well, when was the last time you met with him? I met him three years ago. Well, when was the last time you met with him? I met, uh, I met him three years ago. If we're going to continue to learn, then we need to find people who are willing to teach God's word and pour it into us, and then we need to do our part by showing up. We need to be intentional about connecting with a community. This week I've heard it multiple times from multiple people facing difficult things that said the same things. I don't know how people can get through difficult times in their life without a close body of believers to come and walk beside them when it is the hardest to walk. And I look at the Sunday school classes time and time and time again in this room that fill up waiting rooms in surgery, outside of surgeries at hospitals. They fill up waiting rooms all around uh, the medical care facilities that say, hey, that's a member of my Sunday school class and we're going to show up. 
And it's not going to just going to show up and sit here. We're going to show up and love them with the love of Christ. Why? Because that's what God's word calls us to be. And that's what God's word calls us to do. When we choose not to show up to something like that, I dare say, how much are we actually learning together? Yes, continue, abide, remain in God's word, but continue in what you have learned, which means we got to show up and have somebody pour into us God's word in the context of an intimate fellowship body of believers. And the third is this. He continues to remind Timothy of the eternal investment made in him. He talks about everything that he knows of. And look, it says in verse 15. Know those from who you learned it and how from infancy... You have known the Holy Scriptures. You know, in just a few minutes, we're going to have a baby dedication. Little Ellie Mae Hampton going to come down here. We're going to have a baby dedication. Y'all know what a baby dedication is, right? So what happens is in just a few minutes, Brooke and Andy, they're going to come down here. They're going to have this beautiful little baby girl. I may or may not get to hold her. Y'all pray about that. And part of a baby dedication is really, you know, Ellie Mae, she's just going to be hanging out. She doesn't really have a choice in the matter. You know, she's just going to be glad to be here, hopefully. If she's not, we're going to hear about that. Uh, but really, the main, one of the main parts of a baby, baby dedication is for the parents to come before their church family, who is to hold them accountable, but also a church family who is to pour into and invest in them and say, hey, as this precious little girl's parents, we commit ourselves to God. To create a Christian environment for this little girl to be raised up in so that we can pour the gospel into her. Yes, we want her to grow and be smart. We want her to grow and be successful and capable. But if she learns nothing else from us, she has learned the gospel of Jesus Christ and what we have said to her and how we have showed it to her. We dedicate ourselves to this one cause. That's a baby dedication. But you know, there's another part of that baby dedication. You know what that is, church? what it's us it's on us see the other part of a baby dedication is for us as a church to look at this couple and say we as your church a are going to hold you accountable to be the parents this little girl needs in order to see the gospel in the clearest disciple making sense biblical model but secondly we as members of this church We'll do everything we can to create an environment that when you bring your daughter here, we will pour the eternal word of God into her. We will invest in her knowledge of Jesus by how we teach her, by how we show her, by how we demonstrate in front of her. This is our part of a baby dedication is committing to ourselves, dedicating ourselves to them and to the Lord to say, hey, Ellie Mae, we got you. And for the next 18 years or 30 years or however long God calls all of us to get to do this together, we're going to do everything we can to show you God's word by living it out in front of you and teaching you how to do the same thing. That's on us, church. When we look at this text, Paul says to Timothy, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. Because he had people in his life pouring God's word into him. Church, we are to pour into those that are behind us. That they might be little bitty babies or they might be spiritual newborn baby believers. We are called to pour God's word into these people. By the way, we can't pour anything of God's word if we don't know God's word. 
We have got to know God's word in order that we can invest and pour into those who are coming behind us. Students, some of y'all are juniors and seniors, and you've got 6th, 7th, and 8th graders watching you. A whole lot more than just Sunday school class. They're watching you on social media. They're watching you in the world. They're watching you at school. They're watching you. They're watching every step because you're showing them what they think is what it looks like. And you are called to invest in them and pour into them. We have fourth and fifth graders that worship with us each week. And let me tell you, fourth and fifth graders, those, those, those students, those children that just went upstairs, they want to be like you so bad because you get to go to big church. And they want to know what that looks like. And they want to see the zeal that comes from you. If you show up in Sunday school as a fifth grader and be like, oh my gosh, that dude is so boring. You can think that. Just don't tell them. They're going, to, they're going to get their impression of church from you. Hey, parents. Parents. Those conversations you have about so-and-so in your Sunday school class and your perceptions of the choir or the song selection or the sermon or the preacher or what he was wearing or how his hair, whatever, they hear every word. And that's what church is to them, is what comes out of your mouth. Are you communicating the glory of the gospel that you get to hear each week, whether it's from me or your Sunday school teacher, or do they just hear you complain? Because that is determining where they're going to find themselves when they're on their own on a Sunday morning. So where are we investing in those who come behind us? All of this, why, why all the focus on the importance of God's word? Why the importance on pursuing God's word like this? Justin, I thought we were talking about the sufficiency of scripture and all you're doing is ranting and raving about the importance of the pursuit of God's word. God answers that question. Look at this, verses 16 and 17. Look what it says. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Four things God's word should be used for. Here they are. It's written right here. Number one, teaching. Psalm 119 verses 1 through 3 says this, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. I'm fixing to ask for a show of hands. Excuse me. I am about to ask for a show of hands. I know some people don't speak Mississippi. It's all right. I'm about to ask for a show of hands. But parents, if you've ever been a parent, I want you to answer this question by a show of hand. Would you like these words to describe your child? That your child is blameless, they walk according to the law of the Lord, they keep God's word, they seek God with all their heart, and they do no wrong but follow his ways. If you would like your children to be known for that, will you raise your hand? Because I would. Heap them up. I just want to look around. If you want your children to be known as this, okay, you can put them down. Everyone that just raised your hand, do you strive to be described in that manner? Do you strive to be described as someone whose way is blameless, who walks according to the law of the Lord? Do you strive to be somebody who is described as someone who keeps God's statutes and seek God with all their heart? Do you strive to be somebody who does no wrong but follows God's ways? We want that for our kids, but they're going to learn it from us. And if we are not being taught, God's word is useful for teaching. If we're not being taught in God's word, then why should we expect them to be anything other than us? If it's going to be coming from us. 
Teaching. God's word is useful for teaching. Number two is rebuking. Oh, rebuking. Let's talk about rebuking. We don't like that word rebuke, do we? We don't like that word rebuke because that means we don't get what we want. We don't get our way if somebody rebukes us. And mm, we're going to have to pray about that because we're in a Baptist church. And if somebody comes and tells me my business, you better believe I'm going to tell them what they're doing wrong already. That's how we look at rebuking. Rebuking is basically this, getting called out for something. And so many of us build our fences so high that if somebody even throws something on our side, we fix and dump the whole trash can back on their side. That's how we live because we're not living in accordance to God's word. God's word says right here that God's word is useful for rebuking. James chapter 5 verses 19 through 20 says this, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. That sounds pretty good to me. I got a feeling that in this room, there's a few of us that have messed up at least four times. And those of us in this room who have said, you know, I've messed up four, maybe five times. I guarantee you that when you made mistakes, when you got up a creek without a paddle, when you walked out on a limb... And you realized how shaky and insecure that limb was based on your decisions. I guarantee you, you remember the people. You remember the people that walked as far out on that shaky limb as they could because they were coming to get you. You remember the people that loved you too much to watch you make horrible, stupid mistakes and destroy your life. You remember those people, don't you? You remember the people that weren't willing to sit back and say, well, they're just, they're just living life in sin, and it's just terrible, I tell you. It's just ter-. No, you remember the people that shut their mouths and went after you for the sake of the gospel in your life. You remember those people, don't you? You know what that's called? Rebuking. That they might have found you, and they might have gave you a truth that said, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is not what you're supposed to do. Come with me. Come on. Let's get out of here. That's rebuking. And may we as a church, may we as Westmead Baptist Church always go the extra mile to reach those who are making poor choices. May we never be a church to sit back and throw stones. We can't be afraid of how people are going to respond to us because we love them too much. To see them turn their backs on what the gospel has called and created them for. Rebuking. God's word is used for rebuking. God's word is used for correcting. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 1 says this. Whoever loves discipline. Listen to this. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But whoever hates correction is stupid. That's the NIV. That's not even the Justin version of it. God's word speaks for itself. I'm glad he speaks in my language. It says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Thank you, Lord. We need to hear it in truth. God's word is useful in correcting. God's word is useful in training in righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm going to tell you a little story about me. I was born with a sin nature. I was born that because I like sin, I was separated from God. 
And because of my separation from God, I did not have fellowship with God. So that when I recognized that God sent his son to live a perfect life for his glory, to lay down willingly his life called a sacrifice on the cross that absorbed the sin and the consequences of sin was all cast on him and it's no longer on me. And that he conquered that sin when he walked out of the grave three days later, conquering death and sin for the glory of God the Father so that I might have fellowship with God. When I recognize the fact that that is the offer of grace and mercy through salvation offered to me, man, I jumped on that offer. I was 16 years old, so I'm a slow learner. But thankfully, by the grace of God, I got there. Now, I realized once I got there and once my life was redeemed in the blood of Jesus, I learned something real quick. I don't know how to be righteous. The only righteousness I had was self-righteousness. And from what I read, that's not exactly a good trait. So I understand that if I'm going to be the righteousness of God, I got to know what that looks like. I got to know how to do that. And lo and behold, the word says, you know what? The word is good for training in righteousness, Justin. Now you are the righteousness of God. And I'm fixing to show you how to do that. I'm fixing to show you what that looks like. We need all four of these attributes, teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness for one main reason. Do y'all know what that main reason is? Say yes. What is it? Can you put that passage of scripture back up there, gentlemen? This is why we need those four things. Verse 17. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Y'all can just leave that up there for a little bit. This past week I was talking with some friends of mine and somebody asked me about seminary and I told them, I remember in seminary one of my professors looked at us as a class. You know, seminary is three years long. It's a lot of hard work. And he looked at us and he said, you know, everything you learn here in seminary put together is only about 5 to 10% of what you're actually going to use in the ministry. Boy, talk about a pep talk. I'm like, I'm spending three years of here and I'm only getting 5%? That's all you're going to equip me with? Look at this passage of Scripture. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every." good work. This passage right here says that there is one thing, one thing we need that's going to thoroughly equip us, thoroughly equip us. Everything we could, we're not going to be lacking. We're not needing any more credentials. We don't need to go to an outside source. We are thoroughly equipped for what? For every good work, every good work. Every single possibility, every option, every consideration for every good work, we are thoroughly equipped. There is one thing that can thoroughly equip us for every good work. Do y'all know what that one thing is? God's word. Thoroughly equips the believer for every good work. That sounds, that sounds pretty sufficient to me. Why are we talking about pursuing this, pursuing God's word? Why are we talking about these four things that God's used? Because God's word thoroughly equips us for every good work. That's why when you come here, yeah, we're going to study God's word. 
We're not going to study a book that gives us an opinion about God's word. We're going to study God's word. Why? Because it thoroughly equips us for every good work. If you've been paying attention to your bulletin, you're going to, you've noticed we're getting closer and closer to being debt-free. And one day, God's going to let us cross that threshold. And guess what's going to happen when we cross that threshold? God is going to bring to this church multiple opportunities that we have never seen or known before. A lot of them. And the only way that we as the church to respond how God has equipped us is because we're going to recognize in his word that we have already been equipped for every good work he is about to bring to Westmead Baptist Church when we are debt free. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word. It can only be done through the word of God. The authority of God, the inerrancy of God, the clarity of God, the necessity of God, the sufficiency of God. We see all of this in his word. We will be a church that loves God and loves his word and lives it out. So let's open it and let's grow together so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work he's bringing our way. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I love how we talked about it a few weeks ago. Your word's not just true. Your word is truth. And God, you gave us your son so that we may know you. And you've made yourself available so that we can trust you and obey you. So God, show us as believers in Jesus Christ, those in this room that profess Jesus as Lord, show us the significance of your word. Show us, God, that it's all we need. It's, it's, it's not the word plus or the word and. It's, it's you've given us everything we need to know you, to trust you, and to obey you. To know what you want us to know and to do what you want us to do. It's all right there, God. So open our hearts to see our need for your word. God, this morning, if there is anybody here that has just really struggled because they don't have a relationship with you, because they've never seen the evidence of that in your word. Father God, I lift them up to you, God, that you through your Holy Spirit would reveal to them their need for you. That you would reveal through your word, even to what we talked about, God, of how much you loved us. That your word tells us that you gave your only, your one and only son, and that, that whoever believes in Jesus, that he is who he is. That we confess our sins, that we trust you, that we declare the name of the Lord, we'll be saved. God, today may salvation come to someone who is searching for you. And God, may it have the boldness, the courage to, to come down. I'd love to talk with them about that, God, even in this time. God, for the believer in this room that has turned their back on your word, Father, ignite in them a fire, a desire that can only be quenched with your word. And may they just Seek after you by devouring your word every day. 
God, open our eyes to how you're equipping us and how you're preparing us for what you have for us next, and you're using your word to do it. So God, may we stand on your word. May we embrace your word. May we know your word. May we love your word because it came from the lover and creator of our souls. God, even now as we respond, be glorified in what we bring to you in response. You've given us everything we need, God. May we trust you in that. In your name we pray. Amen. Will you stand as we worship together? to